here towards the end of chapter 13 in Hebrews. The writer has come to verse 17, and he is giving instruction, instruction to believers regarding the leadership in the church. When he's talking about those who rule over them, he is not talking in this chapter, he's not talking in this passage about a secular human government. He is speaking about the leadership in the church. He's already mentioned the leadership in verse 7. If we go back to verse 7, you note that in verse 7, <clears throat> he says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And as we looked at that verse, we realized he was telling them to reflect on those who had been their former leaders. According to the context, there really seems to be those who had passed on, who were no longer with them, um, and maybe referring to the apostolic work um, there, but leaders of the past. And of course, they could reflect upon the end of their conversation, the way they died, or their, the way they had lived to the end. But here in verse 17, he's speaking about the current leaders in their assembly. And <clears throat> he says here, there really are uh, three things here we see mentioned in this context or in these verses. First is to obey, second, submit, and then thirdly, pray. Obedience, submission, and prayer. But note verse 17, he says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves and submit yourselves, and why? He says, because they are going to give an account. I'm leaving out part of the verse, but I want you to see that flow. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. They must give an account, and they want to do it with joy and not with grief, because that is unprofitable for you. Now, we're going to look at more of this next week, but I want us to first of all note in the first part of this verse, it talks about those who have the rule over you. They watch for your souls. They watch for your souls. <clears throat> That's an interesting thought. You ever thought about that? Who is watching for your soul? You know, we live in a day where we have people looking out for a, a lot of different aspects of our lives. We have doctors who are looking out for our health. Um, we may have a financial advisor who is looking out for your wealth. And, you know, if you're like me, you've got a little sticker in the left-hand upper corner of your car windshield. And someone is looking out for your Car's motor. When's the next oil change? I get emails from Discount Tire that tells me it's time for me to check the air pressure in my tires. They're looking out for my wheels. And occasionally I get calls, like you do, about my car's non-existent extended warranty. <laughs> I mean, you just think about it. If all the people that are just looking out for us, isn't it a wonderful thing? 
Wow. But who is looking out for your soul? As last week, we went up to, as a family, went up and <clears throat> to the Grand Canyon. It's a beautiful place, and it's a place that I do not like to visit. Like to, if I know if I was visiting it by myself, that's one thing. But with kids, I just can't wait till it's over. When we're finally in the van heading back down the road, I breathe this great sigh of relief because I have been watching for their souls and telling them, don't get near the edge. Hang on to Josiah. Who's got Josiah? What's it? <laughs> yes, a body. Yes. But uh, great concern because of the danger that lies there. And here in this verse, there are those whom God has called to keep watch for your souls. And you think about that. Who is watching for your soul? And you think about the responsibility here that it talks about when it's speaking of these who have the rule over you as those who are watching for your soul. Now, you could think about this, and I, and I want you to think about this. You know, when someone calls you and reminds you about something you need to do, how do you respond? It's often, oh, well, well, thank you for the reminder, or thank you for reminding me, oh, I need to get that done. Can you imagine, how would you respond if your pastor called you or the leadership of the church would call you and say, hey, listen, I'm concerned about something here in your life. How do we generally respond when somebody points out something that we need to be aware of? Oftentimes, we're not so grateful. Hey, 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 hang on just a second. That's a little personal, don't you think? Well, why are you telling me about that? Or, um, yeah, that's none of your business. Or, well, wait a second. These are people who watch for our souls and then called of God to do this. Back in Psalm 142, Psalm 142 and verse 4. It's a prayer, it says a prayer of David when he was in the cave. Remember when David was in the cave? Who's he hiding from? He's hiding from Saul. Yeah, this is a, really a lament. He's pouring out his heart to the Lord. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Here is David crying out to the Lord, and he really, how is he feeling? He expresses it there. Listen, everyone's against me. If I turn to the right or the left, there's snares out there for me. I'm, I, I'm a hunted man, and here I am hiding in this cave. No man cares for my soul. Of course, he's pouring his heart to the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> Verses 19 through 21, Paul gives this testimony concerning Timothy. 
Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may, have, may be of good comfort when I know your state. Here's Paul, he's in prison, he's longing after the, these believers, wondering how they're doing, concerned for their spiritual welfare, and he's sending Timothy because he wants to hear back how they're doing. In verse 20, he says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care or sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Of course, he talks about Timothy's testimony. Timothy was like-minded. He was one who actually cared for their souls. So Paul said, I'm going to send him to you. I have no man naturally like-minded who will care for you, care for your state, your condition, the condition of your soul. Back in Hebrews chapter 13, <clears throat> this verse in its context, and these, these verses show and demonstrate how that our actions and our attitudes can actually be of help, can be of help to those who are watching for our souls. That's what these verses are really trying to do. How our actions and our attitudes can be a help for those who are watching for our souls and how that actually works for our benefit. But as we look into that, we first of all need to understand, well, who are those who have the rule over you? Who are these? Verse 17, who are these who lead? And that's what it means by having the rule over you. Who are these leaders? Who are the spiritual leaders? Now, in our church, we have a congregational form of church government, or another more, maybe more technical term would be church polity, how the church runs. Okay, the church government is a congregational form of church government. And generally, there are three types of church government. One is congregational. Every member of the congregation has a role to play in the governance of the assembly. Every member has an equal vote. Voting aides and those who are members of the church whether they're 90 years old or whether they're 20 years old, they have an equal vote. Okay, there's also an Episcopal form of church government. An Episcopal form of church government. This is a government by bishops or a government which is beyond the local church. The church is under the authority of a group that are not in the church necessarily, but are over many churches. And they're overseers over a number of churches. That's an Episcopal form of church government. And then there is a presbyter. There's another word. A governance by elders within the assembly. But again, it's the people are not voting. The people aren't making the decisions. It's the elders making the decisions and the people just go by what they're told as far as the elders have made. They trust the elders to make the decisions. Those are really the three main types of church government. And so, and ours is a congregational form of church government. Anything that we do, um, we take a vote of the church. 
and we bring the, especially with regards to finances and things like that, we bring before the people for a vote. Now, whereas church government, our church government may be congregational, our church leadership is not congregational. Now, if you think about that, that could really be a disaster if you had a congregational form of church leadership. Um, you've heard of a two-headed horse. Well, think of a 50- or 60-headed horse. It just isn't going to work. So church leadership is not congregational. So when he says here in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you. Who are these people? Okay, Who are the leadership who are the leaders? Well, I want us to turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4 gives the, really the best description here of the leadership in the local assembly. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning there at verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So everyone is, every one of us receives grace. We all receive grace in different measures, but grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then note verse 8. He says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now there... He is quoting from Psalm 68, Psalm 68, verse 18. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. But Paul is quoting here from that psalm. When he ascended up on high, speaking of Christ, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, I'm going to skip verses 9 and 10. That's talking about the leading captivity captive. But I want us to note what he says about giving gifts unto men. What were these gifts? Verse 11, what did he give? It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And a lot of people look at the pastors and teachers and combine, they're really a combined term. They're pastor teachers. And obviously, as you look at other passages and scriptures that talks about pastors, they have to be what? apt to teach. They have to be able to teach. That is one of the requirements. And if a person is not apt to teach, then he shouldn't be a pastor. He's not qualified. And so pastor teachers is generally put together as one of these gifts. So here we have this description and this fulfillment of the gifts that were given. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and te pastor teachers. Now, these gifts were given to the church to the body. And he goes on and, and gives us the purpose of these gifts. Verse 12. Know what he says in verse, in fact, verse 12 through verse 16. It is one long sentence. You can see the punctuation in each verse. It's not a period. It just keeps going. And so here's this purpose for which the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers were given. What is the purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and unto the knowledge and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, 
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, that's quite a description. Christ-likeness, unity in Christ-likeness, unity in the faith, in the doctrine of what we believe. He goes on, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Wow, that's a lot of words, and there's a lot packed into those verses. But simply put, really it is for the perfecting or the completing and maturation, the maturing of the body of Christ to be do we become more and more like Christ? And that we would be able to avoid, avoid false doctrine, that we'd not be like children tossed to and fro by convincing speakers or by strange. In fact, he warns about that in Hebrews 13. What did he say back over in verse 9? He says, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. And who is given? What is given? These gifts were given. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were given to encourage, to edify, to instruct, to teach the congregation. And part of that was so that they could avoid false doctrine or strange doctrines, as it speaks of there in Hebrews. Now, Here's this passage which describes these gifts as were given in Ephesians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 1, so these are four types of men given as gifts to the church. But in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says this, look at verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Bishops. When I think of a bishop, I always think of a pointy hat. I don't know why, but that just comes to mind. But a bishop, he uses this term bishop, which its definition means overseer, overseer. But bishops and deacons. Now, we didn't see those two words in the list given in Ephesians chapter 4. So who are bishops or overseers and deacons? Deacon. So what is a deacon? It really means a servant. One who is deaconing is one who is serving. And of course, the first time we see that term mentioned in the New Testament is back in Acts chapter 6. Back in Acts chapter 6, what's going on? The church was growing. It was growing rapidly. And the apostles did not have time to give their time to the word and to prayer that they needed to, but also minister to the physical needs and the distribution of food to all of these saints that were gathering together as the church was growing. And so in Acts chapter 6, the 12 called the multitude of the disciples together in verse 2 and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. But somebody needed to do it. And so he said there... Wherefore, brethren, 
Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, not going to make a big deal about this, but do you note who was asked to select the deacons? Did the apostles select them? No. The congregation did. The apostles spoke to the congregation. They said, you look amongst yourselves and find men, find seven men. They said, seven will take care of the need, but find seven men. And here's what we need. We need men who are honest, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom. Now, you bring us names of seven men. And so the congregation did. And then the apostles appointed them over the business that needed tending to. And of course, in verse 5, it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed and laid their hands on them, It says, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Of course, then we read about Stephen and how the Lord greatly used him. And here were these men of God that were selected by the congregation in order that the apostles might give themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. So Philippians chapter 1, bishops and deacons. In Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, as Paul is speaking to the, calls the Ephesians elders, the pastors to him, to speak to them. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now, who is an elder? That wasn't one of the names listed in Ephesians chapter 4, where we saw it was apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. But here's this term, elder. Who are the elders? Well, look on a little bit further in verse 28. As Paul is addressing these elders who have gathered together to meet him, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you bishops. Well, he uses that it's interpreted there, overseers. Remember the term bishop is an overseer. And so here the elders were the overseers. And then he says, take heed to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has, has purchased with his own blood. Feed. That word feed is the verb form of the word for pastors. Okay, a pastor pastors, okay, just like a shepherd shepherds. What is a pastor? A pastor is one who feeds the sheep. He's to instruct, to teach, and that's what he says here. Make sure you feed the church of God. Be pastoring, Greek word poimen, but it's the same word. The noun form is a pastor, and the verb form is to pastor or to feed the sheep. And so here we see the elders. Their job was the oversight. 
He calls them overseers or bishops, and their job is to pastor. So I want you to see the connection between these terms. Because in the scripture, all of these terms refer to the same office, and they're interchangeably used. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. Peter writes and he says, The elders which are among you, I exhort. Who are the elders? Oh, they were the overseers or the pastors. And he says, The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. So what was Peter? Peter was, yes, he was an apostle, but he was also considered an elder or one who would pastor one of the gifts that God gave to the church. He says, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And so he's instructing the elders. And what does he say in verse two? Feed the flock of God. Pastor. That's the word. Pastor the flock of God. Feed them. Taking the oversight thereof. There's that term for bishop, an overseer. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre or money, but of a ready mind. Verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. I, I just love the way that puts it there. The pastor, the shepherd, is not one who lords over the flock, but leads as an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, that's the chief pastor, okay? That is the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And of course, in verse 5 and verse 6, in this very passage, he uses the same terms that the writer of Hebrews is using in Hebrews 13, verse 17. He says, humble. Or in verse 5, he says, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, he's not saying unto the older. He says the elder. Again, he's speaking about the church leadership, the pastor. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Again, submitting, humbling yourself, placing yourself under whose hand? The hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time. Now, back to Hebrews 13. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Church leadership. These are gifts. Gifts of God. When Jesus Christ ascended, he gave gifts unto men, and these are the gifts that were given to the church for their benefit. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. Paul's on his missionary journey. He's coming back through these 
uh, places that he'd been. He was confirming the souls in verse 22 of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And verse 23 says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the, to the Lord on whom they believed. And of course, then <clears throat> Paul went on. But what were they doing? There it was. They were ordaining elders in every church. And God has seen fit that in any church and in every church, a true church, it needs to have appointed leadership. God appointed leadership. Not only in Acts chapter 14, but also in Titus. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul is instructing Titus on what he is to do. He says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. That's an overseer. And do what? And ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And then he gives him the qualifications. Make sure those who you are appointing as elders meet these qualifications. And so here was the job of Titus. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, where Paul is giving Timothy instruction. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. What does he show here is the, the job of the pastor, laboring in the word and doctrine. And why? Because the pastor is supposed to be pastoring. He is supposed to be feeding the flock. Responsibilities, shepherd, pastor, feed, rule, preaching and teaching. And again, these terms used in Scripture, the bishop or overseer, the elder or pastor, which is a shepherd, presbyter, all refer to the same office, though they refer to different and emphasize different responsibilities of the same office. Now, again, as I said before, there are different forms of church government. We have a congregational form of church government. But remember the difference between congregational government and what should not be congregational leadership. Okay? We don't have congregational leadership, though we have a congregational form of church government. Now, in Acts chapter 6, what did we see there? We see the congregation involved in selecting deacons. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 23, the congregation was involved in, well, the issue that had come before the council at Jerusalem there concerning Gentile believers. There were those Jews who had come to Christ, and they said, yes, you Gentiles, you're worshiping the right God, but you need to do it our way. You need to go by our laws if you're really going to be truly followers of Christ. And they were adding the law to grace, which is wrong. And of course, there, 
in Acts chapter 15 and verse 23. They wrote letters back with, to, with Paul, be carried back with Paul and Barnabas. It says they wrote letters by them after this manner. And look who addresses this. The apostles and elders and brethren. So it wasn't just the apostles making this decision. It wasn't just the apostles and the elders making the decision, or the pastors, but the apostles, the elders, and the brethren. And they sent greeting into the churches up of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. <clears throat> and they're instructing them concerning this issue of the law and circumcision and that which was going on there at that particular time of struggle in the early church. The congregation is also involved in church discipline, matters of church discipline. And of course, for that, we go back to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And there, Jesus is speaking about offenses, how they are to be taken care of, but also how to deal with those who are not walking correctly. It says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, If your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he'll not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Here's the whole church, the congregation. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. And so there, again, what do we see? The church, the whole congregation involved in this matter of church discipline. They're in the matter of doctrinal disputes. They're in the matter also of choosing deacons. Now, in the scripture, again, the pastor the leadership of the church. He says, Obey them that have the rule over you. What kind of rule is that? A lot of times when we think of rule, and in some churches you may see it practiced as it almost looks like a militaristic type of dogmatic authority just down from the top. <clears throat> and that's not, that is really not what is being referred to here. Obey them that have the rule over you. Obey them that lead, that have the spiritual leadership. Where does that leadership come from? We think about it. You think about it. Why is the pastor in the place where he is? Why is the elder or the bishop, the overseer, why is he where he is? Okay? Where, how did he get there? Oh, I know we elected him. Okay. But what does the scripture say? The scripture tells us that pastors really are appointed by Christ. They're appointed by the Lord. That does not mean that they are perfect. No, they're not. But they're appointed by Christ. He gave gifts unto men. And among those were the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Pastors don't seize power, okay? That's the, the pastor doesn't come in and try to grab the authority and say, you just respect me because I'm the pastor and it's going to be this way or the highway. 
Pastors don't seize power. They don't usurp the authority of the church. They're appointed by Christ. They are Christ's gift to the church. And the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. And it's important for us to remember that. Pastors are not self-elected. The Holy Spirit is the one who has made them overseers, as it says in the Scripture. Now, we're going to look at this more next week when we get into this actual, you know, looking at the obedience, submission, prayer, and these aspects of the responsibilities of the congregation to church leadership. And we'll look at that more in detail next week. But I want you to note something. Note again the tenor of this passage. What is being stressed? There's this obedience and submission to whom? To one who has been given the responsibility of watching for your soul. Watching for your soul. Who is watching for your soul? You know, in a Christian home, a father is one who is God-appointed to really watch for the souls of his children. And he's commanded on how to rear them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And what does a father do? He takes great care and great pains to consider the spiritual well-being of his children. What is he doing? He's watching for their souls. You know, it might be nice to have someone watching for your health. But even if you have great health, you're eventually going to die. It might be great to have someone watch out for your wealth. But eventually, you're going to die. And you're not going to take your wealth with you. Nor your extended warranty. Okay? But one who is watching for your soul is one who is interested, interested in that which is eternal and who is interested in the fact that one day you and I will stand before the Lord and give account. And that ought to help you as you look at this verse, realizing why. Why obey? Why submit? Where did, where did this authority come from? What is the authority limited to? How broad is the authority? And you need to take into account the fact is that these who have been given by the Holy Spirit to the church are watching for your souls. As they that must give an account... And when the elder, the pastor, when the spiritual leadership gives an account to the Lord, because someday we will stand before the Lord and be called into account for the sheep that were in the fold. That is a sobering thought. And someday I will have to stand before the Lord and give an account. And it says here that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. 
Now that word grief means sighing. And you can just, you, you, you can see that, can't you? Oh, you ever sighed over something? Just so disappointed and just, oh, or the grief. This is what he's talking about. Someday, your pastor will stand before the Lord and give an account. And believe me, I want to be able to do that with joy and not with grief. But unfortunately, yes, there will be some that when I give an account for, it will be with a very long and heavy sigh. Because I can care for your soul. A pastor can care for your soul. But as they say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Which leads me to my final point here. Don't pack up and go anywhere. I want you to consider something. Keep your finger in Hebrews 13 and just go back <clears throat> to chapter 12. It may be just on the same page. You may not even have to turn a page. In chapter 12 and verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Not everyone who is chastened receives the blessing that chastening can bring. Consider that. Consider this statement. Not everyone who is chastened receives the blessing that chastening can bring. Who receives the blessing of chastening? Well, this verse tells us. Chastening afterward brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto everybody? Unto all who are chastened? No. But unto them that are exercised or trained thereby, those who receive it correctly. Now, it's not a quantum leap. Can you see where I'm going with this? Note this statement. Not everyone who is under the spiritual authority of a pastor receives the benefits. Not everyone who goes to church and sits under the ministry of a pastor receives the blessing of that leadership. And why do I say that? Because I will say this, not everyone who sits under spiritual leadership obeys and submits to God-appointed authority. If you want to receive the blessing that God intended from the gifts which he has given to the church, then there must be this obedience and this willing submission. And then it will be profitable, and it will be profitable in the day when account is given to the Lord. Okay? Like I said, next week we'll look more into this, the ruling, the obedience, the submission. I mean, 
what kind of authority does a pastor have? Well, obviously, it's authority that is bound by the Word of God. That is the only authority that a pastor has. Okay? Now, there are some who abuse their position and try to usurp authority outside the bounds of the Word of God. But that's not what we're talking about. Okay? We're talking about biblical authority here as delineated in Scripture. But let this thought sink in, and I want you to think about that this week. Not everyone who receives chastening reaps the benefits. And not everyone who sits under the ministry of a pastor reaps the benefits of the shepherd. It only comes to some. And then, are you the person who will receive those benefits? Are you the person who responds correctly to chastening? And I'd be willing to, to make this assumption, if I might. I think that those who respond correctly to chastening are also those who place themselves in a proper position in relation to God-appointed authority. I think they're connected because it's the same attitude, the same attitude that goes with both. And blessing is promised to both. And so, like I said, next week we'll continue in looking at this verse. I just think it's, a, it's such an important verse, and it really is an attitude of the heart. An attitude of the heart. And there's such great blessing when our hearts are directed in the right way. And when we understand, listen, there, <clears throat> there are no perfect pastors. There are some pastors who, oh, hey, maybe have a great personality. You may really think, oh, right, I really like that guy. But is that a qualification of a pastor? Is that what we're looking for in a pastor? A guy with a great personality? Maybe a guy that's entertaining in his speech. Well, is that really the basis or the foundation of a good pastor? I think not. So we need to understand what that is. Because the Bible does give us some great responsibility toward church leadership. Because again, it's appointed by Christ. It's appointed by the Holy Spirit. So I'd encourage you this week to look into this passage. Give it some thought. Next week, we even have it's the first Sunday of the month. And you can ask questions of the pastor. Okay, Uh, and you may have some questions that come up because of this passage. It makes for great discussion. So bear it in mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage before us. Lord, give us proper understanding of the passage. But Lord, as we as we consider what it means and what our response to it ought to be, Lord, may we indeed be obedient. your word. May we submit ourselves knowing that, Lord, you are the one who has appointed this. You are the head of the church. Lord, that we might live in such a way that all glory and honor goes to the head, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.